Hi there, welcome to Stories That Made Us. This episode, the 25th of our series on creation myths, takes us to the Andes in South America. We speak today the tales of two civilizations that dominated the Peruvian, Ecuadorian, and Chilean cultures. These are, after all, the creation myths of the Inca and the Hivero. The Inca civilization was an ancient culture that was centered in Cusco in modern-day Peru. In time, their influence also dominated much of Ecuador and Chile. Most of our understanding of their mythology comes from the records of the Spanish explorers and missionaries to South America in the 16th century AD. The Inca were the most powerful and influential people of the Andean region until their defeat by the Spanish, led by Pizarro in 1553. They had an intricate belief system that centered around Cusco, their capital city, which in their opinion was the center of the earth. It is from here that they observed much of the Milky Way and the solar system. Their belief system, for a large part, was ingrained in the movements of the constellations, planets, and other planetary formations and their effects on agricultural and crop cycles, and also human and animal behavior. The Inca society was highly developed. Many scholars would argue that they were perhaps more developed at the time than their eventual conquerors, the Spanish, and indeed most of the Western world. In the pre-Incan period, a god named Pachacamac was worshipped by the natives. During the time of the Inca, the same god was referred to as Viracocca. He is the supreme god, the primordial deity. Without shape or form, beyond comprehension and unnamed, the truly undefinable and all-powerful, this god was responsible for the creation of the universe and all life. The people believed that this deity simply rose in the beginning from Lake Titicaca, and upon his creation, he then designed and formed the stars, planets, and the moon. Afterward, he sent these celestial bodies away, placing them where they are now. Pachacamac then created the rest, all the humans, plants, and animals. Now the deity Pachacamac or Viracocca first created a world that was inhabited by giants. This was before there was the sun, the moon, or the planets and stars. The giants in the beginning were subservient to Pachacamac. They listened to the deity and followed his will. But as time went by, the giants grew in arrogance. They began to equate their strength with that of the deity and refused to accept and to follow his will. Pachacamac was understanding and accommodating in the beginning. 
giving the giants many warnings to better their attitude and to listen to his instructions. But no matter what the god did, the giants kept on dismissing his thoughts and words. After trying for many, many years, the deity finally had had enough. He sent in a fatal flood. The oceans rose as winds bellowed and torrential rains covered the earth. All life was lost in this flood. The giants were wiped out. Eventually, when the flood subsided and the earth grew anew, Pachakamak thought of giving creation a second chance. This time, he decided to create humans. In the beginning, the first of mankind were nomadic and lived like animals. Thus, Pachakama, in an attempt to civilize humans, first began by creating the sun, the stars and the moon to provide light to the world. Then, out of pity for the humans, Pachakamak sent his son and daughter to teach mankind how to plant food, make houses and weave clothes. These children of Pachakamak were born of the moon goddess and they did as their father desired. They came to live in Lake Titicaca. Now they were told to travel the world and wherever they were to stop, to plant the golden scepter that was given to them by their father, the primordial deity. This scepter, their father had said, would be assigned to the people to build a city. Show the people to be good, kind, loyal and faithful. Give them civilization and culture, was the command of Pachakamak. Now the son of Pachakamak was known as Mankokapak. He was also called the Inca, for he was the first emperor of the people. His sister, Mama Oklo, was his queen. All the Inca rulers have descended from this first pair of ancestors. These two deities taught mankind all that we know. They showed the men how to make weapons to hunt and crops to plant. To the women they showed how to make clothes and cook food. Now one day, the Inca emperor and his sister-wife stopped in the valley of Wanakauri. Here, they succeeded in planting the golden scepter. This place became the great city of Cusco. Now some say that when the two deities planted the golden scepter, it sank into the air. Taking this to be a sign from their father, they decided to build a temple to the sun upon the very place where the scepter had sunk. This temple stands in the very same spot to date if you were to visit Cusco. The deities thought this new place to be perfect for settling all their people. Manco Kapak, the first Inca emperor, then set out northward while his sister Mama Oklo went south. They went to all the surrounding lands to find people who would follow them back to their new city. They preached Pachakamak's rule to humans 
and showed them a better way of life. The deities wore beautiful clothes and lovely ornaments. They had elaborately pierced ears. The people were enchanted by the two gods and soon chose to come with them to the new city of Cusco. This is how the great city of the Inca came to be populated by humans. Now the emperor and his followers from the north settled and founded Northern Cusco or Hanan Cusco, while the queen and her followers took refuge in Southern Cusco or Huron Cusco. This is how the city was divided into the upper and lower halves. It represented the male and the female, the similarities and the opposites of the two genders. All Inca cities and villages have been modeled accordingly, being divided into the upper and lower halves as per the wishes of the first emperor and his sister-wife. Now in these early days, the people listened to their emperor and empress's teachings. The men became proficient in farming and building. The women became skilled weavers and cooks. Over time, they built the great city that is Cusco. Once the city was built and people were thriving, the first emperor chose to develop an army. The task of this massive force was to bring all the people into his benevolent care as per the wishes of the great Pachacama. And that is the end of the creation myth of the Inca. This story was recorded and told by the Spanish chronicler Inca Garcilaso de la Vega who was born in the Viceroyalty of Peru in the year 1539, but was educated in Spain. Being of royal Inca blood, he published a book in 1606 titled Comentarios Reales de los Incas, which was a compendium of stories and folklore told to him by his Inca relatives when he was in Peru. The story of the Inca creation of the world was one of them. The second story of the Inca creation myth is the legend of the Ayar brothers. This tale begins with three caves on a hill. These caves were called the Tavern of the Dawn or Pakari Tambo. This was after the reign of the giants and after the terrible floods. This was after humans were created to inhabit the world. Now from the central cave of the tree emerged four brothers. They were called Ayarmanco, the leader, Ayarauca, the warrior, Ayarkachi, the salty one, and Ayaroko the peppery one. Accompanying them were their sister wives, Mama Oklo, the pure one, Mama Huaco, the fighter, Mama Ipagora, and Mama Rawa. The group was, in the beginning, in search of fertile lands. For much like the previous tale of the Inca, Ayarmanco, the leader, 
had come out of the cave with a golden scepter, with which he was commanded to found the first city of all mankind. In the beginning, all was good, and the brothers and their sister wives got on well with each other. They helped one another in their search for the new land. Over time, however, the brothers began to disagree. The first to fall out with his brothers and sisters was Ayat Kachi, the salty one. Soon enough, his siblings started plotting on how to get rid of him. Ayat Kachi, after all, was dangerously strong to be overwhelmed by force. Ayat Manko, the leader, then came up with a plan. He challenged Ayar Kachi to enter the foreboding cave of Pakarina and come out unharmed. Prideful of his strength and unable to see through the charade, Ayar Kachi entered the cave. But as soon as the deity went in, the brothers and sisters sealed the entrance to the cave with a rock and locked poor Ayar Kachi in. The stone with which the cave was sealed is called the Traitor's Stone and can be seen today, not far off from Cusco. The remaining brothers and sisters then continued their journey to find fertile lands. Near the valley of Cusco, the group saw a sacred idol. All the siblings were awed at the power emanating from this idol and kneeled to show reverence. All but Ayar Oko, the peppery one. He began mocking the sacred idol, and when others knelt, he tried to trip the idol over. But alas, the moment he touched the sacred idol, Ayar Oko turned immediately to stone. This stone is also seen to this day. It is the Huanacauri on the Huanacauri Hill. Thus, missing both Ayar Kachi and Ayar Oko, the remaining brothers and sisters continued on their journey. When they were tired, they rested. Ayar Manko, the leader, then thrust the golden scepter into the ground. Surprising all, the scepter sank deep into the earth. This was a clear sign of the fertility of the land. Thus, it is here that the siblings chose to make their city. Ayar Manko ordered Ayar Auka, the warrior, to stand on a cane and proclaim to the world the foundation of the new city. He was told to tell all to come to the city and prosper and grow with the blessings of the siblings. Ayar Manko then asked Ayarauka to mark the boundaries of the cities so that all the people coming in would be able to spot its limits. The warrior brother thus turned himself into a stone, and this stone became the cornerstone for the eventual city to be. When the people started flooding into the city, Ayar Manko taught them to build houses and granaries. With the help of his brothers and sisters, he taught the men and women to farm 
hunt and speak. He showed them all how to build and live in this new city, which he named Cusco, and made it the capital of all the Incas. He and Mama Oclo then became the first king and queen of the Inca people. They are the parents of the first Inca named Sinchi Roca. When the time came for the first king and queen to leave their beloved city and return to their father, Ayarmanco built a great temple, known to all as the House of the Sun. This temple is where all the Inca prayed to their sun creator, also known as Pachacama or Viraracoca. This popular story of the IR brothers was first recorded by the chroniclers Guaman Poma, Cieza de Leon, and Betanzos. One of the most interesting things about the Inca creation myths is their bringing together of mythology and the justification of the Inca ways concerning gender roles, military power, hierarchy, and the establishment of cities. Cusco was deemed to be the center of the earth and military expeditions were sent by the Inca to either kill or convert the people of the surrounding lands to the Inca way, the superior way. The next story is of the Hivaro or Shuar. The Hivaro or Shuar are an indigenous people of the eastern Andes, predominantly inhabiting their ancestral lands in Ecuador and Peru. Well known around the world for their head-shrinking practices and skilled use of blow darts, the Hivaro had a brutal and hard existence, first fighting against the Inca dominance and then the Spanish conquests. This history of fighting has left a lasting mark on the peoples of the tribe, for many still choose to isolate themselves from the ways of the modern world. The Hivaro practice an animistic religion. Like other animistic religions of the world, the people of the tribe believe that spirits inhabit all things, animate and inanimate. This is why deities such as the Earth Mother and the Spirit Protector are an important part of their religion and mythology. Now speaking about their mythology, it is not a happy one. Their story is dominated by tragedies and a series of battles among the gods. Inevitably, as with most wars of the gods, the victims of these battles are the creatures upon earth. In the beginning, there was the creator Kumpara and his wife Chingaso. They had a son, Etsa, the son. They were all there was to the creation. Now Kumpara and Chingaso saw Etsa to be unhappy. When they asked their son for the reason for his sadness, he claimed, you have each other, dear mother and father, but I am lonely. There is nobody for me to be with, nobody for me to share my thoughts with. 
Gumbara thought about this for a while and promised his son to find him a companion. Then one night, when Etza was sleeping, Gumbara put some mud in his mouth and spit it out onto his son. This is how the girl, Nantu, the moon goddess, was conceived. She had to be conceived this way for her to be able to marry Etza. But to do this, the two could not have been born by the same mother. Etza was besotted by Nantu the moment she was born. But Nantu, however, failed to reciprocate his love. She resisted Etza's advances for a while, but it got worse and worse by each day. Soon, she was unable to withstand his company. Finally fed up with Etza's continuous pursuit, Nantu plotted her escape to the sky. To flee the house of deities, she painted herself in dark colors and wore a black robe. Then, when no one was looking, she fled. Nantu thought her escape to have gone unnoticed by others, but that was not to be. A bird, Auhu, who was also enamored by Nantu, spotted her leaving the heavenly palace. He tried to follow her but was spotted by the moon goddess. Exasperated, she hacked at the vine that she used to climb up to the sky. The bird could not fly that high into the sky and thus was using the vine to follow Nantu. When the vine was cut, there was no way for Auhu to reach Nantu. The next day, Etza came looking for Nantu but found her chambers to be empty. He was extremely angry to have discovered that his beloved had escaped the palace. He vowed to find her and bring her back with him to the confines of the palace. After searching all over and not finding a trace of Nantu, Etza concluded that she must have gone up into the sky. The sun god then commanded two parrots to take him to the heaven above, which they did by pulling each of his wrists. But after a while, the parrots could not bear the weight. They pleaded to Etza for help, who, taking pity on the poor birds, commanded two parakeets to help the birds carry him by lifting each of his knees. This is how Etza made his way to the heaven. Nantu spotted Etza as he made his way up above. She had spent the whole night preparing for his imminent arrival. When Etza landed in the sky, he glowed bright red in anger. The sun and the moon fought violently against each other, both eclipsing one another in strength and violence. They continue their fight to this day. This is how eclipses, both lunar and solar, are caused. Eventually, after a long and drawn-out battle of attrition, Nantu lost. 
Knowing that she would have to accompany Yetsa back to the palace, she wept in despair. This is why it rains when the moon's face gets red. Nantu was thus tied and brought back forcibly to the palace. But while she had been vanquished by Etza, she was even more adamant to not marry the son. She went off alone and produced her child, Nuhi, by breathing on dirt. Now Nantu thought that no one was looking, but the bird Auhu kept an eye on her. When he saw the clay child, he was overcome with jealousy. He flew over the clay child Nuhi and tripped it, breaking it into a million pieces. It is these remains of clay that were then collected by a grieving Nantu. When she wept, holding the pieces, they came together and became the earth that is our home. Now without a child and lonely, Nantu finally agreed to be Etza's wife. They were married by Kumpara and Chingaso amid much festivities. The two had a son out of their union. He was named Unushi and is the sloth, the very same that we see in the jungles today. Unushi was doted upon by his parents and they gave him his forest to live upon the earth. Etza and Nantu then went on creating one animal after the other, thus populating the world with all the creatures that we see. After all, they used the earth as a mating place. After Unushi had grown up, the two deities sought a bride for their son, the sloth. But all the creatures of the earth were his brothers. Nantu thus sought an audience with Chingaso and pleaded to her for help. Moved by her request, she gave her a mysterious egg, of which was born the woman Mika. After Mika and Unushi were married, Etza and Nantu instructed the two on how to live and prosper. Unushi, however, was lazy and did very little work. This is why the women of all species do more work than men. This is why the Hivaro women work harder than men. One day, Unushi and Mika went sailing on a canoe down a river. Here, Mika bore a son named Ahimbi, the water snake. Now to help Anushi and Mika with rearing their child, Chingaso sent in many eggs. From them came many animals and birds. Some of these new animals helped Mika and Anushi find and make food. Others, like the anaconda, made them an axe to chop trees and make huts. Ahimbi, when grown, used this axe to cut down a tree and from it fashion his canoe. With this, he travelled the ends of the world. After spending a long time travelling, he decided to come home to check upon his parents. Now while Ahimbi was out travelling, 
Anushi had wandered off into the forest and was lost. Mika tried hard to find her husband, but all her search was to no avail. She eventually returned to her home and waited, sad and lonely. When Aimbi returned to his home, he thus found Mika alone and crying for her husband. That night, Aimbi slept with his mother. The next day, they did not wake up soon enough to prevent his grandfather, Etsa, from seeing them together. He was furious to find his family indulging in incest. In great anger, he banished and exiled the mother-son couple from the land. The two wandered about the desolate and empty lands, producing many more offsprings and looking for shelter. The two sought help from many of the animals, but they were disgusted by their incest and would not help them. Now after a while, Unushi found his way back to his dwelling, but he found it deserted. He searched everywhere for his wife, but was unable to find her. Exasperated, he went to his father, asking if he saw his daughter-in-law. Etza, with a heavy heart, recounted the tale of Mika's betrayal and incest to Unushi. The sloth, upon hearing what his wife and son had done, blamed Nantu, his mother, for having married him to an impious woman. In his rage, he beat his mother and buried her in a hole. Nantu would have died there, if not for the help of Auhu the bird, who rescued her from the burial mound. She, however, was not grateful to the bird and left him the moment she was rescued. Auhu still cries in the night, waiting and longing for Nantu's return. Nantu, meanwhile, having been freed, then sought out the exiled Ahimbi and Mika. Upon finding the two, she told them of the cruelty of Anushi. Ahimbi Upset at the treatment of Nantu, went along with his offsprings to hunt down and kill the sloth, his father. When the deed was done and they returned home, Mika, distraught at the loss of Unushi, tried to kill Ahimbi and all who accompanied him to kill Unushi. It is this great battle between Mika and her sons that caused thunder lightning and violent thunderstorms and rain. Even today, when the world is rocked by these phenomena, the Hivaro seek shelter to protect themselves from the fighting gods. Now out of the loudest clap of thunder and the brightest bolt of lightning came the fully armed Hivaro warrior named Masata or War. It is he who stirs people's hearts against each other, prompting them to go to war. Even gods are not spared of Masata's venomous lies and hatred. 
It is Masata who is the creator and the cause of all troubles on earth. It is he who is never satiated with bickerings and fights among the men and the gods and seeks bloodshed everywhere. Etza and Nantu blamed Ahimbi for all the trouble that had come to the earth. He had, after all, led his offsprings to kill his own father, Unushi. Etza imprisoned his grandson, Ahimbi, in a fortress under the Great Falls. He is trapped there even to date. It is said that one can pinpoint the exact location where he is imprisoned by looking at the spot where the waters are the most turbulent. Ahimbi, the water snake, is still trying to get free of his prison. It is said that over the years and out of reach of Masata in his prison, Ahimbi now wishes for peace. He sends up sprays of water to make rainbows as a peace offering to Etsa, to show him that he means well. Masata, however, always obscures the signs by sending mist or rain to block it. The Hivaro tell an interesting story of Chingaso. They say that she, sad at the plight of Ahimbi, thought that he had served his time for his transgressions for long enough. She sought to free him, but the water snake, not recognizing the goddess, turned over her canoe in the rough water and ate her as she approached to free him. And so, the wars between the gods go on to this very day, mimicked by the humans, animals, and birds, all of whom fight for territory, love, jealousy, or pride. And that is the sad tale of our origin as per the Hivara. These stories are all we have for this episode. I hope you enjoyed listening to these tales of our origin. If you did, help us out by leaving a feedback and a rating on whichever platform you use to listen to your podcasts. It helps others discover us and also encourages us to improve. We'd love to hear from you on Twitter and Instagram, so join us by checking out the handle at stories. THD MDE US for both of those apps. Email us at info.storiesthatmadeus at gmail.com with your feedback, questions, or just to say hello. Thank you for listening to us. We'll be back again next week. Until then, it's goodbye.